It's a good time to be doing it, isn't it? Between Easter and Whitson, uh, uh, Easter to Pentecost, we'll be, uh, as we'll see today, what, what we are as God's people has, has already been reflected in the songs that we've sung. Very much flows out of Jesus who has been raised from the dead. He's exalted our exalted king and we are his people. He's alive and we are connected to him as we saw last week. And what we are as his people is very much connected with him and his, his power, his glory, his person. Uh, but of course, it, it all becomes active in our, in our kind of community, in our own lives through the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit who comes into our lives when we come to know Jesus and, and gives us that new life in Christ. That's, that Holy Spirit is the one who, who kind of fills the church and enables us to be all that we need to be and are called to be. And of course, that's what we'll be uh, in at Pentecost at Whitson. So it kind of fits that, that we're here. So what we're going to be doing over the next few weeks uh, is looking together at our key priorities. Uh, as a church community for the next few years. I guess it's a kind of vision, really. Uh, vision in the sense of, look, this is where we hope we can go. This is where we believe God is calling us to go. Um, and the, and it's a kind of, you know, nobody can be completely sure of, of what's going to happen. But, if, you know, you need to know where you're going or you'll certainly not go anywhere. And it, it's a way of saying, well, as a whole community, what's our vision? Where are we going? What are we for? What is the point of it all, as we shall see? And we're going to be looking at that over the next uh, few weeks. Now, where have these priorities and this vision come from? Well, have come from the, the, the leadership of the church, the elders, the strategic leadership team. Uh, we've shared it with the wider team of leaders, with the house group leaders and all the others. Uh, and uh, yeah, we've been sharing it, praying about it, listening, talking. And now it's time really to put it to everyone for prayer, for refinement, for involvement, so that we can hear God together. So it's a kind of seven-week series on, on where we, we trust God is taking us as a church over the next three to five years. So they're important, and uh, I hope you'll be able to listen to them online uh, again, or if you miss some, listen online. If people aren't here today running the marathon or lockdown <laughs> in some part of the city, do encourage them to listen, because they'll be, they'll be online. We'll be following them in house groups as well. There's house group notes, uh, uh, extra portions are out there for today, and they'll be coming around. So so do, um, if you're in a house group, you want to reflect more, either listen online and and, and get hold of the notes and uh, in your own kind of study and so on. So that's what we're doing. But there's a big question behind all of it, really. And that's the question. What's the point? You know, you know when, you, when you hear, I don't know whether you're like me, but um, I'm a bit cynical, really. And sometimes when I hear things, you know, like the management come up with a whole set of strategic priorities or this is our vision or this is our mission. Think, oh, no, you know what? Yeah, someone's, you know, much money's been spent by some consultant somewhere who's kind of come up with something. You know, is this it? Is this, is this what it's like? Is this what's going to happen? Behind it is, you know, is, is there any point to it? Now, this week, the kids are back at school, and if you're a teacher, you too will be back at the chalk face. Here's a poem. It's called, I Don't Want to Go Into School. It's a poem by Colin McNaughton. This is how it goes. You may know it. I don't want to go into school today, Mum. I don't feel like schoolwork today. Oh, 
Don't make me go to school today, Mum. Oh, please let me stay home and play. But you must go to school, my cherub, my lamb. It's a very gentle mother. I've never heard our kids called that, but anyway. (laughs) No offence, Mary, I'm sure we mean it in other ways. But you must go to school, my cherub, my lamb. If you don't, it will be a disaster. How would they manage without you, my sweet? After all, you are the headmaster. <laughs> that poem is dedicated to Principal Skinner, of course, of, uh, of the Simpsons. Time for a confession. Do you like confessions? Ooh. That's how I sometimes feel about my job. What's the point? I'm not the headmaster, of course, but uh, what's the point for me personally? You see, I like to do a job where it's clear why I'm doing it. I came here 20 years ago. Sorry, I didn't 20. I came here 10 years ago, almost. <laughs> almost 10 years ago. Just feels like 20, I know. <laughs> I can hear you say it seems like 30 to us. Anyway. Uh, 10 years ago, and for the previous 20 years, I was involved in doing something different. It was to do with um, recruiting people and sustaining people who were working in mission in parts of the world in great need. Places where there are hardly any believers at all, like Turkey. I think at the time then it may have grown a bit. About 1,500 to 2,000 indigenous believers in Turkey out of 65 million people. Places where there's great spiritual need. Or places of great poverty like Bangladesh and Nepal. Or places where there was great war and suffering like Syria and uh, Afghanistan. And I was recruiting people and part of the team that sustained them and helped the churches that sent them. And those people were doing things in those places that made sense. It made a difference. It was, you know, worth getting up in the morning if somehow through the year a few medics could be working in Nepal or, or some uh, literacy people could, could be changing the lives of communities. It all seemed to make a lot of sense. There was a very clear point. Then I came back to Southampton, idealistic, full of high expectations. It was quite a tough time. And once it, the, doing the job, once the novelty wore off and it stopped making me feel good... Once there was uh, no longer a a kick out of it, if you like. Once people stopped telling me how great the sermons were. That was about three weeks, actually. Um, So I'm not looking for compliments there. Then then came that question, what's the point? And I asked it lots of times. So why carry on when world-changing outcomes are quite hard to see? Now, do you feel like that sometimes about church? Why be part of Portsmouth Church? Why get involved in in any church? Why embrace these priorities we're going to be thinking of? Growing, worshipping and following, going in mission, giving, serving, loving. Why get involved in any of those things? Why do this if you've got something better you could do? Why go to a house group? Why get involved in a project when nothing much happens? Why carry on giving yourself to this church or any other one when you're so busy? Or the kids have got so much on? Or there's just so much to do? Why do anything with others in Christian community? Certainly, why give up anything for this? Is that a question you've ever 
thought about? Perhaps you haven't. But it is a big question. And I've thought about it a lot, but that's a bit to do with my temperament. What's the point? Well, there is an answer. You'd be glad to know. And I hope that together we can discover it again or get back to it or just soak in it and experience the, what the answer to that question, what's the point of church? What's the point of Portswood Church? What's the point of giving, serving, going, all the stuff we do? I hope over these next few weeks we'll have that opportunity just to kind of get back to what it's all for. And we may have to be a bit honest and say, well, sometimes I, I, I've wondered about that. Well, if you have, now's the chance to re-engage, give it some thought, some prayer. So let's go back to Easter, where we were last week. Remember, Jesus is alive. Remember what Jesus told the disciples. Luke 24, we were looking at it. Everything Jesus uh, said about himself, everything he said about God was true, because there he was alive in front of them. Everything the scriptures taught that God's Messiah would do, that he would suffer, he would rise from the dead, and that forgiveness in his name would be proclaimed to all the nations. All of that, all of that biblical program, all of God's purposes was true, and it was going to happen because Jesus is alive. That's where we were last week. If you missed it, you can listen online. Um, it's, it's Actually, it's, uh, I, I, it picked up all the comedy moments from the children. So if you missed what the children were up to last week, you can get that on line as well you have to you don't see it but you, you, you can hear actually you can hear some of the it was great to hear them laughing about some of the things that they were doing but do listen in if you missed it last week and the disciples as we heard last week were all part of that they were witnesses they had to wait for the power from on high but that's what they were going to do it's all there in luke chapter 24 So finding the point starts with the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. That's what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15. Do you know the argument there? He says, look, if Jesus isn't risen from the dead, we're we're miserable. (laughs) We're of all people most miserable. There's no point to anything. But he says Jesus is risen from the dead. And so we're not miserable some of the time. And the Bible talks about him being the exalted king, about how we can know him in our lives, how his power is at work in us, just as he promised, how this eternal life that John, in John's gospel, Jesus speaks about so much, that life of God is in us as believers. Let's look at Ephesians chapter 1. It's on page 1173. I want us to, to, to have a look at... Uh, this, because it picks up from um, this idea. One, Ephesians 1, page 1173, verse um, 17. So this is how it goes. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom. And revelation, so that you may know him better. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened, in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people, and his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every name that is 
is invoked not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. Whew, it's a long sentence. And God placed all things under his, that's Jesus' feet, and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. It's a prayer. Paul is praying it. Verse 17. I keep asking. I keep praying. It's a prayer in the Bible. The Bible is God's word. So if you want to know what God wants for us, he's put it in Paul's heart and we have this prayer here. And what does he want? He wants us to know him better. That's what God wants for us, to know him better. It's all spelled out in some detail like the rest of this great chapter 1 of Ephesians. I'm not going to go into it in detail here. But it is amazing. Have a look at it yourself later. But he wants us to know God's power. And there's that phrase, for us, it says, God's power for us who believe. He connects that to the resurrection of Jesus in those uh, last few verses, verse 20. Jesus has been raised. He's now in the exalted place as king. He's head over everything, as we say, Lord over everything. But then there's that phrase, why is he head over everything? Verse 22, for the church. Hmm. What's that mean? For the church, he says, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything. The church is his body. The church is connected to him. More than that, the church is filled with him. That's what that means. The church is filled with Jesus. He fills it. What's the church? His body. He's connected to it, as it were. It's an intrinsic part of him. Who are the church? It's us. The community of his people. The whole church worldwide and every local kind of representation of it. And we can be filled with him. If you're not a Christian, becoming a Christian means that we turn our lives over to the Lord Jesus and he fills us with his life because what he's done for us on the cross becomes real to us as we shall celebrate later. And and I know as a believer, you know as a believer, his life in, in me, his life in you. That's what it is to be a believer. And the church is his body. It's connected to him. He fills it. Jesus made a promise about the church, didn't he? Do you remember what he, the promise he made? It's on page 983. Keep a finger in page where we are and have a look at page 983, Matthew chapter 16. And uh, we're looking at verse uh, 21. No, we're not, verse 18. No, we're not, I'm sorry. We, we're looking at verse... 13. Let's go from verse 13 to verse 18. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say the Son of Man is? They replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, Jeremiah or one of the prophets. But what about you, he asked, who do you say I am? And Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. Jesus replied, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. What is the promise? Well, Peter just blurted something out that he barely understood. He, he kind of felt it to be true. Who do you think I am, says Jesus? There's no more important question for any of us than that. Who is Jesus? 
And how does that relate to our lives? And Peter just blurts out, you're the Messiah, you're the Christ, you're the one God promised, you're the son of the living God. And Jesus sees this almost like a signal. And he says, Peter, I'm going to build something on you. I'm going to build my church. He made a promise that there was a church that will be his. This is the first time this word appears in the New Testament. It's almost the only time that Jesus uses it, actually. But it's an important word. It's a word that was used in the Greek Old Testament to describe the community, the congregation of people who came out of Egypt under Moses' leadership, and they were a community, a congregation in the desert. Remember that story? They were in the desert for 40 years. And the word that was used was, was, was uh, church in, in, in Greek. It was a Hebrew equivalent. And Jesus is saying, I'm going to be gathering a group, a congregation around myself. They will be my congregation, my gathered out people, the people loyal, my messi- my messianic community, if you like. He's the Messiah. He's going to have people. One of the scholars says, actually, um, anybody, a, a Jew at that time, it would be inconceivable for the Messiah not to have uh, a community of people with him. That was what it was all about. He was going to bring his people uh, into relationship with God uh, and into all that God's purposes would be. They expected. And Jesus says, it's my church and I'm going to build it. And he says, nothing is going to stop me. He talks about the Hades as the place of death. Other translations uh, translate it, the gates of hell. The point is, Jesus says, death, hell, nothing will stop me from building my church. That's his promise. So what's the point of being part of a church? What's the point of being a part of a church like Paul's? Well, that is... (laughs) Jesus promised to build his church, that it's his church, and that nothing will stop him. And that he's the one, as we saw in Ephesians, who's going to build it. How is he going to build it? By filling it. By the church being like a body, all connected to him, with his life kind of flowing through. And we know Jesus kept his promise, don't we? We see it in the book of Acts. Read the book of Acts. There's this explosion of life. People hear about Jesus. They hear about what he's done. They experience him still doing things. It's tough as well. There's persecution. But Jesus builds it. And as you read across the book of Acts, the communities grow. The word grows. The spirit is at work. Jesus keeps his promise. And he is still keeping his promise. He is still building his church. That is his commitment. That's what God says he will do. That's why it's worth being part of it. I find that helpful. I don't know about you. It helps me think. What's the point of it? That, whoops, sorry. That's the point of it. We're part of his church. It's his He's building it. He fills it. He's keeping his promise. So we say, yes, that's how we can grow. Yes, we're willing for the cost. We're willing to be part of it because he's worth it and it's his. And we want him to be glorified, don't we? Let's go back to uh, uh, Ephesians again, but this time turn a page. We're going to 1174 to see another of the Bible's pictures of this uh, community of God's people, the church. So it's 1174. This is in Ephesians 2, verse 19. 
It's a description here. It says, consequently, uh, Paul's been talking about how Jews and Gentiles have been brought both together to know God through the cross, through what Jesus has done on the cross. Verse 18, he said, through him we, we both have access to the Father by one spirit. Jews and Gentiles can, because of Jesus, they don't have to be divided from each other anymore, says Paul. They can come to know God together because of Jesus, if they come through him. And then verse 19, he says, consequently, then says to these Christians, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. Paul says there's a picture here of, of a household. In, in his world at that time, uh, there were large households. They would have uh, like an extended family. Servants would live in it. Slaves would live in it. All kinds of people uh, would be part of it. And there was like, you know, w- within a certain strata of society, there would be these kind of household communities. And Paul says to these p- the Christians, he said, look, you're like that. You're like a huge kind of household, uh, a community of God's people. Being held together, verse 20, you're built on the foundations of the apostles and prophets, uh, and Jesus is the cornerstone. He holds you together. You gathered it, kind of connected in him. There's even more in verse 21. It goes on to say that, he said, it's like a building. In him, the whole building, now the metaphor's changed from household to building. In him, the whole building is joined together, again, connected together, and rises. Actually, the word there is grows. And grows to become a holy temple in the Lord. And it's built together out of people. What does it also say? God lives there by his spirit. What's the point? God lives there. It's filled with God. This new community. So that's why we're committed to being together. By growing together. By getting bigger. As more people come to know Jesus. That's the point. That's the answer to the big question. It's what God does. It's how Jesus builds his church. Now there's even more about this in Ephesians 4. But I've left that into that extra portions bit. Uh, Pick it up afterwards if you want. So if that's what God promises, there's a point. It's a basic idea, but it's true, isn't it? If God keeps his promises, then that's the point of it all. So whatever it costs, whether it's fast or slow, then we want to be part of that living church which grows, don't we? So that's why as a leadership, we're praying for, we're working towards lots of people coming to know Jesus or back to him by 2020 or beyond. Actually, we're asking, but the number doesn't matter, we're asking God that we might be used as a church to see 220 people coming to know Jesus or coming to back, coming back to Jesus in the next three, four, five years. How about that? It's consistent, surely, with what Jesus promised. I don't know about the numbers. That's something that we prayed about and just felt, well, we'll start there. But the point, the, the process, 
what's behind it is this, this promise that Jesus builds his church. And he does it for his glory. So all we're saying then, by kind of saying this is one of our strategic kind of priorities, is that we want to be part of what Jesus is doing as he builds his church. That's all. (laughs) We want to see growth. And that means that we want to be what God promises to make us as his people. We just want to be what God promises he will make us in his word. That's not that radical, is it? Maybe it is. I don't think so. So why not? Shall we, shall we work at that? Shall we move forward in that? That's the point. Jesus fills us and we're with him in what he does as the message of forgiveness goes everywhere. And we can only do that as he fills us with himself together. So Jesus has this promise to build his church, to fill his church, to grow his church. Hold that thought and look at one more passage a few pages back. This is on page, I don't have it, 1 Corinthians chapter 3. I'll tell you the page or someone could shout it out if you'd like. Uh, 1145, I got there first. And we're looking from verse 5. What, after all, is Apollos? And what is Paul? Only servants through whom you came to believe, as the Lord has assigned to each his task. I planted the seed, says Paul, who's writing. Apollos watered it, but God has been making it grow. So neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything, but only God who makes things grow. The one who plants and the one who waters have one purpose, and they will each be rewarded according to their own labor. For we are God's fellow workers in God's service. You are God's field. You are God's building. Just a few questions, simple questions here then. Here's the first one. Whose project is it? What does it say? Whose project is this? God's. You are God's building. You are God's field. It's God's project. What did Jesus say of the church? It is my church, says Jesus. God's project. Who makes it grow? God makes it grow. What does Jesus say? I will build my church. Not difficult, is it? Here's another question. How does he do that? Oh. Well, he does it here. As people like Paul, people like Apollos, do stuff. (laughs) They, Paul says, they do different things. They're different people who do different work, but God makes it grow. So Paul says, look, it's, if we think about planting and watering like agriculture, he said, I planted and Apollos watered. We did different things, but God made it grow. That's how God do, did it, and that's what we sometimes see. And what we pray, we will see much more. You know, it happened last weekend, as it happened. Several times. Last weekend, let me tell you a story. Last weekend in Breakfast Club, amazing thing happened. Uh, there was a man here who, uh, his heart language was German, right? And he, uh, he wanted to talk to somebody. He actually wanted someone to read the scriptures with him. 
and I think talk more. Now it just so happened that Peter and Sandra Simpson, they're not here today, but they had Sandra's parents with them. They're Austrian. Just so happened. Peter and Sandra volunteer in the house, in breakfast club. On that day, they happen to have their parents who are Austrian. And what do they speak in Austria? German. So what happened? Well, uh, uh, Sandra's dad had a great opportunity to talk in German with the guy. And I think that guy was later prayed with. Is that, or was that somebody else? It may have been somebody else. Anyway, things were happening. So what happened? You see, Peter and Sandra, they were at Breakfast Club. They happened to have that. They were kind of in the place, available. They were planting something, just in their love and their care, because that's what they do every every month. And God made it grow. It's not complicated, is it? We do stuff. God makes it grow. Last Sunday, there was someone here um, who uh, got a card, a leaflet through their door. And uh, it drew them to church. And I, I think they, they began a bit of a journey. So well, how did that happen then? Well, somebody took a leaflet and put it through a door. Someone planted. Someone, we all prayed for the leaflets, didn't we? A heartbeat. We prayed our, our little hearts out for a little bit on, on that. And we've been praying it at other times. Something else happened. Uh, some of you invited your, your family here. Uh, and some family members came and said yes to the invitation. Some didn't. I invited some neighbors and they didn't come. But that's all right. I invited them. I had joy in inviting them. But as I was on the door chatting to some of the, the friends and family that came, I just, I just saw, saw one of them um, kind of come out like this and uh, try praying is here. Slipped it. Slipped one quietly in the bag. Somebody invited, somebody bought them, someone planted, someone watered. God is making it grow. Could that happen? It's a simple thing. That's the point. (laughs) That's why we're going to be involved. That's why, you know, if you want to get in, we want to see 200 people. It's not impossible. God can do it. He can give the growth, but... Brothers and sisters, I speak to myself as well. We're going to have to do a bit of planting and watering. And planting and watering doesn't necessarily mean that we all have to be, you know, pouring verses of scripture into people's ears non-stop or being, you know, full on. You know, if somebody won't let me share the whole gospel with them, then that's it. No. It means we're available. We're serving. We're just around. And when the opportunity comes, we rather scaredly take it. That's it. So that's, that's the priority, that's the point. So things like messy church need people to serve. Uh, I know Suzanne, she, Suzanne here, she's probably out the back. She'd love there to be a messy church once a month, but she needs people who just be there, like Peter and Sandra are at um, uh, Breakfast Club, just making tea and being a vat round. And so that there were 60 uh, children with no connection with the church here in messy church before Easter. We could be doing that every month. And when you talk, when you meet children at, at Messy Church, you don't just meet the children because they come with their families. They come with their carers or parents or whatever. And we can plant, we can water, and God can make things grow. That's all it is. Why? You know, we can be on our front lines together in our neighborhoods, praying for our, our neighbors or just befriending them. Let's be people who 
serve, who invite, who water, who plant. Because God says he will make it grow as we plant and as we water. Why? Because it's what Jesus has promised. Because Jesus is the risen, exalted Lord for the church. That's us. He is Lord for the church. That's the point of it all. He is our Lord. It's not just a nice slogan up there. It's true. And we hold that by faith. We move forward together. Because the Holy Spirit will give us the power. Because it's what God has promised. So it doesn't matter how long it takes, whether we see it all or not. It doesn't matter whether we have an exclusive on it. We most certainly won't. <laughs> because there will be people... I, we, we, I think probably in about the last eight years, probably about 90 to 100 people have come to faith through the work of this church that we've known about. That's why 220 isn't a, a bonkers idea. And sometimes they go to other churches. Sometimes they move away, like Mulvarid, who was here with her parents last week. Uh, She came to know the Lord. She was baptized. She moved away. We don't know what happened next, but she got in touch and said, I'm back. This is, it was real. Jesus is my Lord still, and I feel connected to this church. So it may take a long time. It won't be easy. It will cost us something. But if we're in it together, we can be filled with Jesus. He will be glorified in the church he is building. Now, I don't want to miss that, do you? That's why it's, that's the point. (laughs) That's why it is worth getting out of bed. It is worth being part of it. And you might see yourself as a planter, a waterer. Well, why not ask the Lord this week, what can I do? Can I just do something? I don't know. I'll just be a friendly person. I want to see the people I'm around or I want to be part of a project. If you're part of a project here in the church this week, say, Lord, yeah, help, you just help me to just plant something or water something. And I want to look for how you might make it grow. Ask him that how you can use your gifts as part of this bigger mission to be growing. And let's please as well, it'd be great to have a really kind of bigger conversation about this together. If you, if you think, you know, I'd like to know what you think of this, this kind of idea. It's all very well for us as leaders to say, let's do this. But if all the rest of us say, oh, no, I can't do that, then that's going to be a bit of a problem, isn't it? So it'd be good to have some, some feedback and some prayers together. We'll pick it up in different ways. And as we go through this series, we'll look at a different one of our kind of priorities as we go. But let's hold on to that truth. It's Jesus' church. He will build it. He fills it. He is the Lord for the church. We'll respond in prayer and praise.